What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Valley, coming at you, as almost always, with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, just amazing co-host, Andy Bailey. We're going to hop to another mailbag in a little bit. But before we get started, I just want to first thank everyone for getting us past the 100 rating benchmark on iTunes. We appreciate that. But I also want to remind for those who haven't done so yet to please rate, review, and subscribe us on iTunes. We're trying to get to 403 so that we can beat Stephen Curry's record of three-pointers made in a, in a single season, but in iTunes review stars, which I feel like is a totally valid life goal and ambition it's going to be the focus of our entire lives from now on and you it's taken us a little bit longer than one season too Shout right out to we don't shh, shh, <laughs> um beyond that you can still get 15 percent off at the nba math store nbamath.com slash shop promo code benno b-e-n-o you should be able to remember that because we shout him out at the end of every podcast andy is on um but before we jump into the mailbag, and it looks like we're going to have a fairly extensive one, we have to ask the question that everyone actually wants to know, first and foremost. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm doing great. It's a very it's a very Wyoming day outside. The wind is literally shaking our house right now. Um, wow. So <laughs> that's just sort of that's just sort of like an every other week occurrence in this state, so that's fun. Um, Doing good. I, I love these uh, mailbag episodes, so I'm excited to jump in. I was surprised we didn't have more Kawhi Leonard questions. I I noted one um, in the questions that I recorded. So uh, I, I didn't actually look at all the responses yet, so maybe there were some more, but we'll at least have a chance to talk about it a little bit. Fun, fun, fun. Um, so let's jump in. Sounds like you are ready to do so. And I guess we can just go ahead and start with Kawhi, since you uh, kind of took us there. Now I have to actually find where the... Okay. Um, the way this question is phrased is kind of funny to me. This is from Kant's Categorical Imperative at K-A-N-T-S-I-M-P-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. Any chance the Celtics would really give up Rozier for Kawhi? <laughs> which I, I knew that would be the part that would get a reaction. Um, secondly, and this almost like contradicts his first question. Also, which NBA trade proposal you've heard was most ridiculous and why are they all, or why are the top 10 all from the Celtics? So maybe his first question was uh, sarcasm. <laughs> I would hope so. But it does get us into the Kawhi Leonard conversation. Who even started this so, Kawhi to the Celtics stuff today that was all well, over Twitter? It wasn't, it was, 
there was an argument taking place between friend of the pod Justin Rowan and a radio producer in Boston, I believe. Dan, I don't want to butcher his last name, Dan L. But the the real source of it all was Brian Winhurst from ESPN was on Outside the Lines on Monday and said, this is via real GM. I have already talked to several NBA general managers. At the end of this season, teams will call the Spurs and inquire about the availability of Kawhi Leonard. And then soon after that, Zach Lowe, also of ESPN.com, tweeted, not that Wendy needs any confirmation ever, but this is 100% true. Vultures are circling in hopes of action around the draft. This is all... So it's all from outside San Antonio. Right, and it's, it wasn't Boston specifically. It's just because the Celtics are always mentioned yeah. in any superstar trade talks. And, I mean, they do have the ability to offer as good of a package, if not better, than anyone else in the NBA. I, one, do question whether the Spurs would actually move him. I'm just not sure what his value is when he's he has a player option for 2019-2020. And he's... What if he doesn't play again this season? He'll have nine games under his belt. And this whole just, weird mystery, I don't like the team thing going on too. Right. It would almost make more sense. He would be eligible. I understand not wanting to go into next year because he's going to be eligible for the designated player extension. And if you don't give it to him, that seems kind of like an understandable decision because he won't have played this year, but he's going to have to requalify for it at the end of next year to get it. And that could create some tension in a situation that's kind of already fragile perhaps i just at the same time it, to me it almost seems like i know those extensions are just massive but wouldn't it make more sense to give it to him and then trade him later when he's eligible to be traded when he would have more trade value because he's under contract for longer and presumably actually playing i uh i wish i could remember who talked about this i, I think i heard it on somebody's podcast recently but they were saying that that might be sort of the new play league-wide, kind of what the Clippers did with Blake Griffin, where you pay the guy his massive contract and just hope that you can get off of it. Um, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure that that's what the Clippers were thinking when they signed Blake Griffin to that deal, but it had to have at least been in the back of their mind that, you know, if this doesn't go perfectly, he's still young enough, he's still talented enough that, that somebody will be willing to take him. Maybe San Antonio's thinking the same thing. Um, I don't know. I don't... <laughs> What kind of package could Boston put together that you think would make sense? Uh, I, I'm just going to assume that he is being sarcastic about the Rozier stuff. Would it be like, I don't know, Jason Tatum, Rozier, a pick, and would you have to throw in Brown too? Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't know because I. It sounds it, the people who say that the Celtics shouldn't give up Brown or Jason Tatum for Kawhi Leonard are out of their damn minds. I get it. <laughs> I mean, because if he's gonna, healthy, he's, he is a legitimate perennial MVP candidate. Right. At the same time, I understand that his contract situation is then iffy because why should you give up so much money for someone who's basically – not money, so much so, – so many assets for someone who's on the last year – of his deal, you have to give up one of Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. And At frankly, least, yeah, right. And frankly, if you're going to do it before the draft, as opposed to at the trade deadline next year, you don't have the salary fodder to not give them up in a deal. I mean, just as a baseline, if you were to trade um, Terry Rozier along with Jalen Brown, and Markeith Morris, you're only looking at a total of $11.9 million in salary. And Kawhi Leonard's hit, as of right now, is $18.9 yeah, million. 
and it's got to be 75% of, or am I getting that oh, backwards? For, for that specific deal, it's, it's 125% plus $100,000. The Celtics okay. can take back. So if you're going to send out those three players, let's just say, as the baseline, you still need to take back enough. about $3.9 million. Yeah. And, okay, you have to, obviously, including Jason Tatum would be the way to get there, but you're not going to want to give up both. Uh, but then you, you're at a point where you would have to start combining people, and then why are the Spurs just going to accept this mishmash of assets? For I think you Kawhi? get to a certain point where, like, I, I do think that you want to pull the trigger and go after Kawhi Leonard if you can, but I, I, I at the same time see Celtics fans' concerns, and I think you're laying them out now too. Do you really want to, like, empty the entire cupboard for a guy who's had a thigh problem for – two or three years now and, and has suddenly displayed some off court issues too. I, I get the apprehension, I guess is what I'm saying. And also you have Gordon Hayward coming back. It's yeah. just is, are one of those guys, do you want them playing the four full time? Because they would basically well, have I, to. I think they're going to have to do that. Even if they don't get Kawhi, I, I think their lineup next year has got to be uh Brown Tatum Hayward two through four. Right. Yeah. That's also fair. Okay. Uh, but then, so what is the lineup if you don't give up both Brown and Tatum? Then you're going to have – that would be a scary lineup. I, I do, but again, it's it's just so, with the way the salary is, if this was in the middle of next season or if the Celtics – I don't think – I mean, we could talk offseason and there some someone floated. It was a Celtics fan saying if we could do like a Marcus Smart sign and trade with Rozier and then picks, I, I would do it. I think that's enough. For that's – no, I don't think you think about that. Yeah. Would is there are there any other teams that you could see was, maybe making a play? I was going to ask you the same thing actually. Um, I was thinking Lakers. The Lakers are the one that I keep coming back to too. But again, salary fodder for them is going to become an issue because you're not going to trade. And I don't necessarily think in the off season they might have the cap space to be able to make it work though, right? Oh, that's absolutely true. Would you give up? You would have to give up Brandon Ingram, I would think. Who else are you giving up in that deal? Um. Kuzma, Ingram, Kuzma, uh, who who's still under contract for them next year? Dang. You have, <laughs> yeah, you have Dang. Um, you could give. I wouldn't give up Lonzo Ball in that deal. I don't think the Spurs would. That you have Josh Hart, but he's not worth anything. I mean, money yeah, his, wise, his he's, he's his really salary good. is probably like a million bucks, right? One point four. Yeah. So it's if, hard. I mean, they'll have the cap space to do it, but if you're the Spurs, are you willing to take back Dang? If you could, I don't know who else you're going to get to send out, though. Yeah, I don't think that's. It's not like they have some bad money they could send out in that too. I, I guess Powell or Lamarcus, but Patty Mills maybe. But the Lakers will have the cap space. But if you're the Lakers, are you giving up? Let's say I think it's the same. Up? It's the same question with the Celtics. Like you want Kawhi Leonard, but um, are you willing to overlook the question marks right now? Right, and you're not going to do. I don't think. I don't know why San Antonio would engage in sign and trades for Julius Randle. You could. Yeah, he doesn't could, really work in San Antonio, at least not right now. They've got. Right. They've got that logjam with Powell and the Marcus there. Yep. Um, would you do if you're the Lakers? Would you give up Hart, Kuzma, and Ingram for Kawhi Leonard? And you probably have to include. It's picks, so hard because I, I have such a soft spot in my heart for like the young, growing teams. Um, Right, but if you if you had some kind of intel that that said that this thigh issue is going to be fine, and it really is just sort of a a personality clash between Kawhi and the Spurs, then I I would do it. And 
I guess because he's a like I said earlier. I mean, he's a top three to five player if he's healthy. Do you, do you know what might work out in the Spurs' benefit? Assuming they're looking to maybe they're they're probably not looking to go full on rebuild just because of the contracts they have on their books. But if they waited on the Kawhi Leonard trade front and then the Lakers end up signing Paul George and or LeBron James, that gives them all the incentive in the world to not only give up all their prospects for Kawhi, but you could probably sweeten the pot enough then to get the Spurs to take on Dang because you're going to need the salary matching fodder if you compromise your cap space by going after LeBron and Paul yeah, George. Yeah, if they get one of those guys first, I think it would probably make more sense to trans to trans supplement it with Kawhi. That would be interesting. Um, yeah, it's an inter- it'll be a very interesting summer. We we've talked to in the super secret message thread that you've referred to about how interesting <laughs> this summer is going to be with free agency, but suddenly we could have some spicy trade stuff too with I Kawhi Leonard. Do you have another team that you could see taking a chance on a on a Leonard deal because it's I'm, not it, it's we're in the situation where it's a, a team like Phoenix could build a hell of an offer. But are you willing to take the risk that he would leave in free agency in 2019? Yeah. Did you listen to uh, Do you listen to Bill Simmons' podcast? Sometimes. The most he just had one with Kevin O'Connor and uh, Chris Ryan, and they were talking about. I wonder if Jumpman and and all sort of Kawhi's inner circle is pushing for him to to be in a bigger market. Because they were saying he's not really a superstar like Russ who can transcend a smaller market. Um, yeah, he just doesn't have the personality. Yeah, that, and that's exactly what they're saying. So it seems like, I mean, if there's some truth to what they were saying, it would be something like the Lakers or New York or Chicago. I mean, those are the big three um, television markets. I don't know what I don't know what Chicago could do to get him. They don't have the pieces. Outside of this um, year's pick, they just don't have a lot of attractive assets. And why are you and trading? The Knicks, the Knicks, the only piece that would entice them is Porzingis, but they're not going to trade him, right? I mean, it's the Knicks. <laughs> I, you know, be. I mean, if you if the Knicks were like, hey, take Kristaps, Frank Nilakina, and this year's pick, and they'll they'll include filler at the, because that'll bring them to. Depending on where this year's pick is at, that'll bring them to let's say ten point five million in salary that they would send out going. You could include a Lance Thomas to make the money work. Or I, would you want to do that as a Knicks fan? No, I'm just saying. Yeah, and then Kawhi yeah. would probably resign with the Spurs in 2019 anyway after <laughs> making that deal. But it, you what could if this that is would all be just a ploy for that exact scenario you just laid out. <laughs> Kawhi is going to be like super secret agent. I mean. That's, but that's a package that if I were the Spurs, I would totally consider. Neil Aquino, yeah. Neil Aquino hasn't had a great rookie season, but he's imagine, a great. Imagine Porzingis with Popovich's coaching, and with Aldridge at some point. That'd be a heck of a front court yeah, pairing. That would be ridiculous. The Nets don't have the pieces to make it happen either. Their their cupboard is still bare from the Billy King era. Um, so I think it's I think it's basically the Lakers. <laughs> That that seems like the most logical spot to me, anyway. Assuming yeah, just, they don't fix this, like the it was just last summer that it looked like everything was imploding with Lamarcus Aldridge and the Spurs. Would and, you can? Sorry, and, go ahead. And go suddenly, ahead. that's all fine. So maybe they can iron this out too. But who knows? Would you consider if you were the Sixers building a 
a package around Markel Fultz? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't. Um, would the Spurs be interested in that? I'm I mean, not as I'm not as high on Markel Fultz as other people. I don't think. I'm just saying, if you include Markel Fultz, Saric, the two first round picks you have this year, Saric might be more intriguing to the Spurs than Fultz. <laughs> yeah, but the like Fultz would have player. to be. Yeah, for sure. Just um, because Covington would be good in San Antonio, but um, that's just, he's just not. You, you don't look at him as like a superstar magnet. That is pretty interesting, trade. actually. Th- those three in picks, I guess. Yeah, that I mean, it would have. And then all of a sudden, your lineup is like next year: Simmons, Reddick, Kawhi. I don't know who the four would be then. Um, or maybe you play Simmons as like a pseudo four and start a guard, like a more traditional guard. That would be really interesting. Just having Simmons, Kawhi, and Embiid on the floor at the same time is interesting. Do you know what's even crazier is that Philly would still have a pathway to signing LeBron James then too, if they really wanted. <laughs> that would be insane. That would be ultimate positionless, by the way. There's you have your LeBron, four right Kawhi, there. Covington and Simmons on the court at the same yeah. time. Although you had Covington going to San Antonio. No, I said you could include him. I'm not saying, I just oh, don't oh. think, I don't think you do just because he's not, now his, his contract is fine, but it's just, I mean, and the Spurs I'm sure would want him, but I don't think he's someone you can include where the Spurs will be like, okay, you get to keep the Lakers pick then. Yeah, they would have enough money if they kept Covington to take on Leonard and LeBron. They would. So if you move Bayless, there would be some. There would be stuff that they could do. And I mean, you're getting rid of Saric in this deal. Um, it would be. It would be tighter, but I, I think you could get there. I believe I'd have. To, I didn't crunch the numbers before we did this. I should have. But that um, would truly be insane. Um, Let's just leave that one to simmer for the listeners. You ready to move on to another question? Yeah. Well, the one thing I was going to say is I didn't get your opinion. If you were the Knicks, would you offer a deal like that if you were the Knicks? Would you go Neil Aquina this year's pick? I don't pick, think so. I, I, I'm still very intrigued by Porzingis. I and you know what? I just wouldn't do it because Kawhi Leonard is leaving in 2019 if he goes to the Knicks. He's leaving. He's not staying. Well, you don't think Who's if he around was him? Like... You want to, Does he want to spend the prime of his career next to Tim Hardaway Jr. and <laughs> – and joking was Cadaver, and then probably a re-signed in Ennis Cantor too. I mean, what if he instantly makes them like a forty-five to fifty win team, and it's his city, and um, he he just finally gets the media attention that he's maybe been craving for a couple years, and then he just like signs with the Pacers in twenty nineteen. <laughs> yeah, he's like, this wasn't as good as I thought it'd be. I, I missed the small market. Um, he could I don't really think I piss off the man and then go to OKC with Russ. Yeah, that would be funny. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we could we could move on. That was just. Do you think? Oh, oh, the last question that I have on this. Then, do you think next season is Kawhi Leonard starting it with the Spurs? I'm gonna say yes, just because that seems like the safe answer. in anytime you're talking about trades, I'm gonna say yes. <laughs> that's, that's a good. One. I'm gonna say yes, just because I can't picture. Because if you trade Leonard, you you have to be rebuilding, right? There's just no. Yeah. Unless and unless I you're also, accepting. I keep you coming could, back to the fact that they fix things with Aldridge too. I, I just feel like there's enough um, there's enough goodwill there that they can figure it out. Right, and the only way you're essentially not rebuilding is if you like trade him for for sort of an underwhelming package. Like, what if you sent him to the Bucks for Brogdon, Snell, and and Middleton or something like that, and Maker, and then you sent back like another contract to make the money work. That's interesting too. 
Um, but it, that that just sort of, I think San Antonio is still just sort of uh, treading water in that scenario. Right. I'm saying, but that would that would probably have to be what you target, and that's not. I just couldn't picture them. I honestly, I couldn't picture them doing that. Would be my. No, me neither. Um, Stephen Curry carries the Warriors <laughs> at T W O L F O L V E S B A L L. So his handle is T Wolves Ball, and his name is Stephen Curry carries the Warriors. That's interesting. Um, can you get Stephen Curry 30s field goal percentage without last second heaves and full court half shots? There's not really much analysis with this, but um, I did think this was interesting because he's one of the only guys who doesn't seem to care about his field goal percentage when it comes to the thieves. <laughs> Which I respect, it, by the so way. So do I. And it actually changed a little bit more than I thought it would. Without the heaves, his three-point percentage would go from 42.3 to 43, and his field goal percentage would go from 49.5 to 50. And then without shots taken in the last four seconds of the shot clock... Uh, his field goal percentage would go up to 50.1, and his oh, three-point wow. percentage would go up to 43.2. Almost almost a full percent higher on threes without the late shot clock shots. Surprised me a little bit. That actually did surprise me a lot. Um, the other thing that surprised me, um, I'm not sure if it's a lot or a little bit, but Stephen Curry is shooting 60%. 78 of 130. Oh, excuse me, 60 percent. 78 of 130 on mid-range attempts this year. <laughs> the percentage or the amount? He's shooting 60 percent from mid-range. I know that's that's, that's feel- like extraordinarily high, but somehow I'm not like stunned by it. Is that weird? Yeah. No. And here's the other thing: between 16 and 24 feet. So there are some three pointers included in this. He's 61.3 percent. On 93 attempts. That's crazy. That's just nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Um, that I'm, I'm going to lead us into another Warriors question because it's I think it's related to what we're talking about right now, which is Stephen Curry, of course. Um, and this is actually a couple questions. This one's from DMX equals banners. And that's a hell of a handle. <laughs> I think that's got to be in reference to Donovan Mitchell and Dante Exum. That's like their new nickname is DMX. Um, his handle is Trevor underscore Silva, S-I-L-V-A-3. Uh, if you had to pick either the Warriors or the Rockets to lose in the first round, who would lose and to which team? Um, I will let you take this one first. I, I honestly don't know. If you had to pick, because I, I think we can both agree that the Warriors and the Rockets are probably going to win in the first round. But if you had to pick one to, to slight slight chance to get upset, who would it be? Man, I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna catch hands with this answer. <laughs> I, I it's kind of easy for me, but go ahead. And you think it's gonna be the Warriors then? Yeah, I don't just think because... there's any way the Rockets lose in the first round. The, just the fact that Curry might not play in the first round, I'm still gonna pick the Warriors, no matter who they face. But I think the door is like barely cracked if he's not playing at all in the first round. I think I'm going to lean toward what you say, but there's a big part of me that wants to go with the Rockets. Interesting. Um, I Like who would have to fall into the eighth seed for you to, to give them a chance? To give the eighth to, seed a chance? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much anybody but the Timberwolves. 
Maybe even the Nuggets would probably get run off the floor against them. I don't know. The Nuggets offense can be super tricky. Uh, I do think the Rockets are a bad matchup for the Jazz. I don't mean to. I don't mean to rain on that parade for you. Oh, I don't. But I don't think the Jazz would have a chance against the Rockets. The Jazz and the Timberwolves, I think, would would get beat by the Rockets. I, you could, if it was the the Pelicans, I would probably safely put in the beat. But if they have to face the Spurs, which seems unlikely at this point, if they have to face the Nuggets, if they have to face the Thunder, which is still possible, and Thunder I'm not could even be interesting. That's right. Right. And even the Jazz too, just to some extent, because of their defense and how Rudy Gobert will probably change the the way that the Rockets drive to the rim at least. And the other thing that gets me a little bit are, are two it's twofold. Trevor Ariza has not been shooting the ball well lately. He's since the start of March, he's at like 33% from three. Luke Mbamut has historically not shot well from deep into the playoffs. And if that's a guy that you can just abandon, and I know he can do some work off the dribble, that's going to be problematic for the Rockets. And the other thing, and we've talked about this in the past, is that their best lineups, they have great lineups no matter who they're throwing out, but I want to know the best way for them to sort of run away from these teams, you want to force those mismatches with those all-wing lineups or combinations with a non with no bigs in it, and they, they haven't really leaned on those units during the regular season. According to Cleaning the Glass, the most used lineup they have without a big in it, you know, put just P.J. Tucker at the five, let's say, is under 60 possessions played this year and they've destroyed opponents again they've been absolutely nuts but even when looking at Trevor Reese at the four yes they've been dominant statistically but there just hasn't been a whole lot of exposure there and I think that since they're not necessarily used to playing that way just yet that could potentially throw them for a whirl or maybe they won't even go to it in which case I think that makes them a little bit more solvable and the final thing I'll say and I don't I want to preface this with I don't really believe it their insane isolation efficiency could get harder to sustain in the playoffs. It might not because you have Chris Paul and James Harden. It's not predicated on just one of them going bonkers. But it, it, again, it, it could. If that doesn't hold, they could run into some problems. Yes, they can fall back on the pick and roll. But even that might become a little bit easier to defend if you don't have a Ariza shooting the ball well, if defenses are kind of abandoning uh, and Bob Moot. I don't know how you feel about that. Though. So you have actually swayed me a little bit. Um, I, th- I think those are all fair points and the fact that we can even have this conversation is probably a testament to how strong the west is there's just so many good teams that could wind up in seventh or eighth so that makes it fun um i've i've mentioned some variation of this number probably every other episode for the last month but since january 1st the warriors are plus 12.3 points per 100 possessions with curry on the floor and they're plus two and a half points per hundred possessions with him off, and and that's still good. A two and a half net rating would still be in like the top half of the league, um, but to me they're just they're just so much different if Curry's not playing, and I I think that leaves the door open, like I said, just barely a little bit. But I, I think the overall Oof. preface to this question was that both of us are going to pick the Warriors and Rockets regardless of who they face in the first round. Who has the best chance of upsetting a Warriors team without Steph? Um, the Thunder would be interesting, like you mentioned. Um, I'm gonna I could see that. Jazz giving the them problems. I'm not going to lie. I can see them giving them problems. I just don't know if I could see the Jazz winning four out of seven. Like It would be a very competitive. I think the Jazz will make a competitive series out of just about 
any matchup. That that's just sort of they they always play hard. I mean, that's like a hallmark of Quinn Snyder teams. But if I had to pick one team that has a chance to actually win the series, I I feel like it might be the Thunder. Just because of that talent at the top with Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Yeah, that would be I think that'd be my pick. After that I'd be really interested. I'm just gonna assume the Spurs won't fall that far, even though I guess they could. I'd like to see that. But a lot of people have even cited the Nuggets as a team that would give them problems anyway, even with Steph was there. If so Denver's that, offense is clicking, they <laughs> they're extremely difficult to slow down. It's just that they're gonna give up a ton on the other end too. Um, okay, we've got another question that relates. This one's from Brian T at B W T H O R N O C K. Is Golden State still a still a real threat to win the West? It may be my bias, but it just seems like they won't be able to turn it on, even if they're healthy. Um, so here, I think they're obviously still a real threat to win the West. Yes, they've been through a rough patch with all these injuries, and they don't seem quite as interested or engaged this season as they have been in years past. But here's some numbers that may surprise uh, Brian T and maybe some other listeners as well. They still lead the NBA in net rating, which just kind of blows my mind. They have a plus, they're, they are plus 9.1 points per 100 possessions. Houston is plus 8.9 points per 100 possessions. They also still lead the league in effective field goal percentage and true shooting percentage. And here's the really crazy thing, at least to me. Their effective field goal percentage of 57.2 is the highest in NBA history. Their old record, they so this Warriors team also holds the second and third best effective field goal percentages ever, and it's 56.3. So their all-time high effective field goal percentage this season is nearly a full percentage point better than their number two all-time effective field goal percentage. This is still a juggernaut, especially... Um, when and if they get Curry back. Do you know, I, so I looked up some numbers too before that were a little bit, but first of all, the effective field goal percentage thing is nuts that you just dropped. It's Everyone crazy. should take a moment to appreciate that. Yeah. The um, the other thing I'm looking at, so we've been over, there's been a bunch of noise recently when you look at how the Warriors perform when they have Dre, KD, and Clay, but no Steph. This surprised me that those three have played 687 possessions without Steph this year, according to Cleaning the Glass. The Warriors' net rating during that time, plus 6.5. Offense still pumping in more, uh, almost 110 points per 100 possessions. The defense holds serve right around 103 points allowed per 100 possessions. But the most used lineup with those three that doesn't include Steph does include Quinn Cook and JaVale McGee. That lineup has played 109 possessions and is a minus 9.4 net rating. That is surprising. With a sub 102 offensive rating. And that's that, that's probably going to be their starting five in round one, right? That, or maybe they'll put Sean Livingston in with Zaja Pachulia at the five. That lineup, if you have Livingston, Clay, Durant, Green, Pachulia, plus 20.9 this year and 91 possessions. Patrick McCaw, Clay Thompson, Durant, Draymond Green, Jordan Bell, 106 possessions plus 5.7. Um, uh, do you know what I would love to see? And uh, this lineup hasn't been played that much this year, but screw point guards. You have Kevin Durant, you have Andre Godala, you have Draymond Green. I would play those three with Clay and Jordan Bell. And that lineup has actually seen 43 possessions this year. 
Can you guess their net rating? Just 43 possessions, so less than a half a game. But can you guess I'll their net something rating? something crazy like 50. Plus 59.4. <laughs> so th- there For are what things it's that worth, they um, McGee and Cook have both been starting lately. Just Do you, throwing that out there. Right, and perhaps that's the lineup they go with in the playoffs, or maybe they – I want to see – I want them to unleash. And they're not going to start that lineup I just talked about because Iggy comes off the bench. That's just how it – how it is. I want the I want that to be without Steph their most used lineup. Clay, Iggy, Durant, Dre, and Jordan Bell. It makes the sense because you can get all the playmaking you need out of Iguodala and, and Green and even Durant too. Um, I might as well throw Jordan Bell in there too because he can pass a little bit. There's there's plenty of um, ball handling and passing in that lineup. Um, yeah, that's super interesting to me. I I think. Your overall answer to the question is the same as mine, though. They're they're still a real threat to win the West, right? Right, and I'm not even con- – the only concern would be, is this going to be circa 2016 when Steph came back and he wasn't look the same, yeah. And even then you still have – now you have Kevin Durant and then you didn't. Yeah, that's, a, that's <laughs> very true. If he's not himself, let's say he's the version he was in the finals when they lost to the Cavs. Do they beat the Rockets? I'm, I'm I, just I think the answer yes. is they can. I know. Here's You're, my thing with that: is I just think there's another level. Def- I I don't like saying this because it's what we use to kind of marginalize the Cavaliers' case every season. But I just I think there's another level to this team defensively, and that not having Steph won't impact their ability to reach that different plane because he's sort of an even defender for them. They do hide him sometimes, but I just, I, and I, that, that's what really does it for me. So, and the other thing is, is that we talk about that 2015, 2016 run when he came back as if he was just sort of this hobbled version of himself. Do you know what he slashed once he returned uh, for that? I, I think he returned the end of the Portland series. I think I've looked this up before, but I don't remember. The numbers are still good. In the 16 games he played uh, after coming back, he shot 43.7% overall, 40.2% from three, 91.1% from the foul line, still averaged 26.4 points, uh, 5.4 assists per game. I love how many people still say stuff like Steph Soft in the playoffs. <laughs> that, was his, even, that was his bad year. Right, and it's just even – uh, he was not that great in the finals relative to him, but he still averaged 22.6 points. 3.7 assists is low for him. I'll say that. Shot 40.3% overall. Still hit 40% of his threes on almost 11.4 attempts per game. Shot 93% from the foul line. The yeah, fact That's that, like superhuman for most players. And the fact that they need him to be more says more about how important he is to them than really about everything he didn't do for them that year. And lest we forget that he even had, do you remember game seven against OKC that year where he just went bonkers? He still has the ability to just, even when he's not himself, he just, he, he eclipsed 30 points in each of those final three games against Oklahoma city that year. Yeah. I think he still maybe more than anyone has, has the ability to completely change a game offensively. So then I guess my answer to your question now is a more resounding yes, that if he's like what he was in 2016 post-injury, could they beat the Rockets? I, I would say yes. All right, let's go to Cloudemir. 
at S-D-U-A-L-C underscore. Do you think we should go for Jabari? And I assume he means the Jazz. Um, my, I, I've kind of liked the idea of Jabari Parker on the Jazz for a while now. I think we've probably even talked about it on the podcast. There's, there's some very obvious problems, though. Um, he's got the injury history. He still hasn't really figured things out defensively, I don't think. Uh, Milwaukee is, is a minus with him on the floor this season. And they've, you know, it's been long enough that he shouldn't be on a minutes restriction anymore. He's just not playing because uh, they're, they're just playing other guys. And that's, that could be a coaching problem, but it's still worth mentioning. Uh, can Quinn Snyder fix the defensive issues? I think that's fair to, to ask and to wonder. And then the final hurdle and this is probably the biggest one, is how much do you have to pay him for Milwaukee not to match it? Because he is a restricted free agent. Um, do you think Milwaukee's even at a point where they're they're going to consider letting him walk? I would think the salaries... They do have some... They have flexibility they didn't before because of waiving Toledovich due to his health reasons. If they can get his money off the books next November and they're probably going to assume that they can. They're giving themselves an extra 10.5 million dollars in wiggle room under the tax. Can they that get means, a can they get like an injury hardship for that? Like they wouldn't even have to stretch him. Uh, they wouldn't get a hardship because that would be Well, uh, I mean like some sort of an exception. They, you, that money just wouldn't count towards their books. They're not going to get okay. if That's what they're I'm not going to get Yeah, they're not going to get like what the Celtics got for Gordon Hayward next season. Um so maybe they'd be willing to go higher at the same time. If if you gave him $20 million over four years, I wouldn't match it. I wouldn't do it. $20 million I, over four years? You, 20 per year, excuse oh, me. Oh, okay. I was like <laughs> – okay. I've always thought with him and Levine, the smart way to go for the teams and maybe even for them was, you know what, give them a ton of money over the short term. Make yeah, it two like years. A one or two year deal. Yeah. Yeah. Make it two years with a team option, or if you feel comfortable enough, player option. But if you really wanted Jabari, or I think this applies to Levine too, I think you could come in with guaranteed money over three or four years near the max, and those teams are going to have to think long and hard. And the length might matter more than the max salary. Because I was going to say that's um, that's not going to be in Chicago or Milwaukee's control. Some other team is going to offer them. Years, right. I think. I think if someone comes in at four and let's say 85 for Jabari, I would have to, if I'm the Bucks, I have to think about that. And I, think, I think I would do that if I'm Utah. Would you? Do you think no. that's worth the risk? 20 million a year? No. Andy, what, look at what's, look at what that would do to their books. They're slated for Buku. That's true. They are, they are sort of holding out for next year. That's a good point. And I, I get that like Utah isn't this huge free agent draw but you you gotta get for 20 million a year you gotta get some semblance of certainty to me and i mean it's a gamble for sure but if you get if you get last season's version of jabari next to rudy gobert that just seems that's like perfect to me basketball wise the other thing that i don't like about that though is then you're you're essentially saying that jay crowder isn't going to get as much time at the four because i think it's easier to give favors he's not going to get jabari money in that situation it'll be easier to kind of so much higher with jabari at the four than crowder though but i'm saying then you're playing crowder at the three well off the bench i mean he could play three and four off the bench and you're now 
So you're fine just getting rid of favors then in that scenario, and it's just all in on Jabari? That's actually uh, that's a tougher question than the Jay Crowder one for me. Because but I'm they, just saying, if that's they, how you view yeah, Jay Crowder, yeah. then you're assuming Derek Favors isn't on the team. Which I, I think is probably fair to assume, unless he has really – he just feels great about the way the last couple months have gone. Two or three months ago, it was like a foregone conclusion that he's he's not coming back. And if something has changed, then then that would make me rethink that. But just be, I Man, mean, it's even hard. If I, I still think the ceiling might be higher with Jabari than Favors. You you got to have a bunch of stuff hit right. Like obviously he has to stay healthy, and you have to trust the fact that Quinn Snyder can make him into a passable defender. And those are both big asks, but. Just on talent alone, that that's a guy who was a borderline number one pick. I think personally I would just find it hard to stomach all the collateral damage it would take to overpay Jabari Parker. Unless that's he like hits, two, then it's not an overpay. Except it, it, right now, if you give Jabari Parker four years and $85 million, that's an overpay. That is without question an overpay. You <laughs> Not if he's like twenty-two and nine. You're assuming he's gonna be twenty-two and no, nine. No, I'm not. The I'm Bucks can't even if. go game with him right now. <laughs> I mean, it's all fair. It's a it's a high risk. Um, if this were 2019 and he was hitting the open market, and you had Rubio and Alec Burks coming off the books, or maybe you're able sense. to trade off one of them, and you don't have to give up on favors so easily, or you don't have to get rid of Exum. So easily, just because the Bucks are going to have, I mean, you have also Tabo Cephalosha was good for them. Um, he of the anti-drug yeah. policy violators. Um, I, Jonas Jerebko could have some value for them as, as a stretch four. You have to get rid of the, Udo's been a good backup five for them. You could, you have to get rid of some, if not all of these guys. I just, it's tough for me. If you could tell me they're going to get rid of Burks or Rubio's salary before next season, and then they're going to go do this, then fine. But to to jump through the hoops that you're going to have to jump through to create the $20 million in space, to even tie up your cap space in him without a guarantee that he is going to sign with you or that the Bucks aren't going to let him go, that's just – that's a lot for me. If I was them, I'd rather – I would just rather be – I, I would rather be in on a different free agent. And th- the other thing is we talked about what is the final piece they need, and we both came up with switchable wing. And Jabari yeah, Park you probably need that. more of a 3-4, and he's more of a 4-5. That's a, that's fair. He's And, it, yes, he's played some three in Milwaukee at times, but I just— I don't like him there. I agree with you there. So, I do still think it just it would raise their ceiling a little bit. It's, it is fraught with risk, and you laid them all out very well, but— I think it just slightly bumped their ceiling up. I would rather, if I were them, I would rather spend that money on Aaron Gordon and max him out. See, I, I would rather carve out the extra money and go to Aaron Gordon. And you know I'm not high on Aaron Gordon. Yeah. it's That's a tough question. And that has been those two have been posed to me before. Like, would you rather have Aaron Gordon or Jabari Parker? And it's a tough question for me. Even with Parker's injury issues. Um, and Maybe it's um, just because I'm so... I put so much stock in shooting and I just see a clearer path to good shooting with Jabari than I do with Aaron Gordon. And and just as like a, this is rough. I did this while we were talking just to give a rough idea of what it would technically cost the jazz to have even close to Jabari room. 
I have their books. If you renounce favors, get rid of Cephalosha, renounce Exum, get rid of Jerebko and uh, Yuda, and then we're just going to assume Neto's gone too. That would get you when you include their first-round pick hold, and then I put in minimum holds to get to the requisite roster number. They're at $19.8 million there. Yeah, and that, that's tough. That's not. That's probably not even enough to get him out of Milwaukee. Yeah, that's tough. I for, I somehow thought that they could keep Axum. That that makes me even more hesitant. On you, this. if you can get rid of, if you're willing to grease the wheels of a Burks trade, that opens up different doors because then you can. That's yeah. That that would change a lot if they could find somebody who was willing to take him or Rubio. It's so an that, interesting question. That's yeah. That's it'd be interesting if you could guarantee me Parker would be full strength. I would say it'd be interesting to watch. I'm still not sure, even if you guaranteed that, that I'd want the Jazz to jump through so many hoops for that player. Then again, it does seem what he would do offensively, at least for them, is exactly what they kind of need. Particularly tight in games, just that extra face-up guy to go with. To go with Mitchell, you could run dual big pick and rolls down the line. Hopefully, with him and Rudy Gobert, probably as well. Yeah, basketball-wise, I just I love the fit. If they could, you know, if if they could somehow have a lineup of Exum, Mitchell, Ingles, Parker, and Gobert. I would just die. And you get enough defense from Ingles and Gobert and Exum. probably from Mitchell and, and Exum. I think Mitchell will figure it out, yeah. All right, I'm going to move on to Andrew Beckner at AFrost32. What's your all-rookie team looking like, both from a statistical standpoint and your own personal opinion? And um, It's like spoiling a future pod that we got to do. That's true. Uh, I will just say that the top five in wins over replacement player right now, um, this isn't the order. I just ordered it by position. Ben Simmons and Jason Tatum forwards, Donovan Mitchell, Lonzo Ball, guards, and John Collins as your center. That's a pretty good all-rookie first team. I thought all rookies, don't they not take into account positions? You better check that for me because that would make I'm, it. I'm that's, checking that's it. That's the top five, though. It seems to, to to fit pretty nicely. I would be fine with those five. Yeah, they definitely – last year it was Sarek, Embiid, and Hernan Gomez both made it. All three made it. Neither Hernan Gomez or Embiid Willie, would have been – Willie, Hernan Gomez? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they must not do positions. But that's that five is – that makes sense as the first team for me. Maybe you could argue Kuzma in instead of Collins. I definitely think um, Ananobi probably deserves some at least consideration, though he's kind of fallen off. Collins would be the first four are not negotiable. Yeah, Collins is really the only one that we can talk about taking out, right? Yeah, and I'm 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 pretty comp. I think Collins is in there. That's just my opinion. But if if you had to cut one and put somebody else in, that would probably be it. Yeah, I would go. I I would put. I would consider Kuzma or Ananobi over, over Collins. Um, the fact that we aren't talking about Neil Keener or Dennis Smith Jr. there is maybe a problem. But <laughs> I've got some uh, nuggets on Dennis Smith later. Jeff oh, at J H A R K I N G six. Who is a great player under the radar? in a current bad situation. The first name that came to my mind, I don't, Frank think, <laughs> I don't really think he's under the radar, but Tyreek Evans was really good this season. And, and I would say he's Memphis constitutes a bad situation right now. He was 23rd in the NBA in box plus minus this year. And he averaged 19, five, five, two threes, one steal and shot 40% from three. The one I'm going to say is my answer to this question though. 
Um, Kelly Olynyk. He was 33rd in the league in box plus minus this season. He averaged 17.5 points, 8.6 rebounds, 4.2 assists, 2.1 threes, and 1.3 steals per 36 minutes. He had a true shooting percentage of 61.5. Um, those numbers are crazy to me, and I think that he might be slightly under the radar. I, I don't think a lot of people realize that he's averaging 4.2 assists per 36 minutes, and you know I love passing big men. And if they can move Whiteside, um, obviously that situation becomes much better for Olenek. I love the idea of a Johnson-Olenek starting front court. I think it just makes more sense for a lot of reasons. I think that's th- that's a good answer. I don't know if my pick, I don't want to say he's in a bad situation because I actually have respect for the team that he's on, but I think people don't understand how good he is because the team he's on is not good kind of like a Tyreek Evans Memphis situation, Joe Harris in Brooklyn. He's under, yeah, very under, I, I like this pick. Go ahead. And I just think that he would be re- really good on a really good team. And he shoots more than uh, about 40% on his spot up triples, which is a big deal. The Nets throw him on some bigger wings defensively. He doesn't really stand the test, but he is strong. So the fact that you can throw him there is big time. And this, for me, is what makes him so lethal is that if you're going to close out on him, he's kind of worked in a better dribble drive game. There are 153 players this year who are averaging more than four drives per game and have appeared, have made at least 10 appearances total this year. And that's that might seem like too many qualifiers, but 10 appearances over the course of an entire season is nothing. So yeah. the field, yeah. that's 153 players. Joe Harris leads the league in field goal percentage. In these situations, at sixty point six percent, just ahead of LeBron, I'm guessing. At fifty nine point nine, James Johnson, your boy, fifty seven point five is number four. He is Steph- perennially near the top in drives. James is, but go ahead. Yeah, he's um he's number three at fifty seven point five. Stephen Curry's at four fifty six point seven. Drew Holiday rounds out the top five at fifty four point eight. Chris Middleton, which surprised me a little bit because. He's been kind of all over the place this year. He's number six for anyone that cares. I think Joe Harris is a great call um, in terms of under the radar. Because I some people are talking about that driving stuff that you brought up, but I still think there's probably a pretty significant portion who don't understand. Um, he's certainly more than just a shooter at this point. His And what's crazy to me is he passes on a ton of these drives, which is why he's not averaging as many field goal attempts. So he's just becoming smarter. 30, almost more than 38% of his drives end with a pass. And his assist percentage in these situations, not huge. It's almost 10%. But consider that this is higher than LeBron James, 7.9, higher than James Johnson at at 8.7. It's right around Drew Holiday at 10.2. So that's it's higher than Kyrie Irving, who is at eight point eight. That's valuable because he's just he's a good quality decision maker, and I think he's going to be a free agent this summer. This is not the summer for him to be a free agent. If he was uh, if he was playing like this and it was twenty sixteen, that'd be a different story. But I think he could get probably close to the full non taxpayer mid level exception five and change. Maybe uh, we'll see. But I, I think he would be a, a great addition to any team that doesn't just need shooting, but that just needs smart players who make good decisions when their first options kind of evaporate on the offensive end. And you can, you can get away with him. I think on a team with more defensive talent, I think you could get away with him defensively as well. I also love that he's from the same draft class as Doug McDermott. 
Um, who's going to be another free interesting uh, – he's not – Joe Harris isn't restricted, but Doug McDermott is. He's shooting – McDermott's shooting more than 50% from three since he, he came to Dallas. Maybe he so. just needed to match up with Rick Carlisle. All right, we're going to be a little bit more rapid fire on these next ones. All right. Uh, did you have something else you wanted to say about McDermott, though? I just said he reminds me of Kyle Korver on defense. Defense. Defense, everybody. Because he <laughs> tries so hard, and it just – it so often doesn't go anywhere. But he tries. Uh, yeah, I'm not, ready, I'm not ready to give up on McDermott yet. I just – I always thought it was interesting that Harris, I think, kind of became what McDermott was supposed to. And he was drafted in the second round, I'm pretty sure. Um Gage at N B A G I A M. PJ Tucker and Trevor Booker are locked in an elevator with one Dr. Pepper. The temperature is rising. When the elevator is fixed, who walks out refreshed and who is on the floor bleeding and thirsty? <laughs> I think you should take it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. PJ Tucker's. It's hard for me Can to you read it back to me? PJ Tucker and Trevor Booker are locked in an elevator with one Dr. Pepper. The temperature is rising. When the elevator is fixed, who walks out refreshed? And who is on the floor bleeding and thirsty? I mean, soda is not the best thing to have when you're dehydrated yeah. anyway. That's a great point. <laughs> point that out. Um, I'm going to say Tucker walks out unless we switch soda with a bowl of Cap'n Crunch. Then Trevor Booker walks out. I'm just going to defer to you on that. <laughs> um, Gerald Ray at It's Me Purok. I-T-S-M-E-P-U-R-O-K. Would it make sense for the Lakers to keep Julius Randle and Isaiah Thomas? Um, you know, if they miss out on LeBron and Paul George and, and whoever else they chase in free agency, I don't think that's a bad plan B. They are... Plus 12.4 points per 100 possessions in the 259 minutes that Julius Randle and Isaiah Thomas have shared the floor. And Julius Randle, as a starter, is averaging 19.2 points, 9.3 rebounds, 3 assists, and has a true shooting percentage of 61.7. His play, especially in the last two or three months, I mean, obviously the Lakers are still going to chase those big free agents. But I think he's made it at least a little bit harder to give him up because he's shown a lot this season. Getting kind of a behind-the-scenes look there. My phone was ringing, so I ran up to shut it off. But <laughs> No problem. I think um, keeping both of them has its merits if you don't land – Isaiah Thomas in particular, if you're not going to land the big fish and you can – sign him to a one or, or two-year deal. Maybe you just overpay him for a season, kind of like you did with KCP. I don't yeah. know what his market's yeah. going to look like. like a one-year mid-level like from somebody is going to be his market. Right, and the thing is, Julius Randle's been really good this year, so I think you try and look at keeping him no matter what because his cap holds $12.4 million. There are things you can do. You can definitely afford one max guy. You can potentially get to two, depending on how much you're willing to give up to lop off Dang's contract and keep him he is one of three players this excludes demarcus cousins because he's injured averaging more than 20 points three assists and 10 rebounds per 36 minutes and the other two are joel Embiid and nicole Jokic, which is absolutely nuts the other thing is he's been good to, good enough defensively for the lakers to play 
at center. He's spent 4,217 possessions on the court this year at center per cleaning the glass. Their net rating in these situations is a negative 0.5, which is not spectacular. But if, if you mix and match well, and you kind of— And that compared to the Lakers' overall net rating is probably fine, right? Right, it's fine. And it, it, it depends on also who's at power forward. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, eventually— um, oh, excuse me. I actually typed in the wrong thing. So that that's actually I'm giving you wrong information. I just typed in him on the court. He Julius Randle has actually spent 2,037 possessions at center. The Lakers are a negative 0.1 per 100 possessions oh, with him better. there, which is and a majority of these possessions have come with Kyle Kuzma at the four, who's not a great defender. So I would be very interested to see long term if the Lakers are going to grow organically a Brandon Ingram at the four, Julius Randle at the five lineup. That duo has played 175 possessions together under that context. Lakers have gotten killed um, during there. But the Randle-Ingram, it was Lonzo Ball, Caldwell-Pope pairing with whoever you put at the two guard has been fairly promising sometimes. So I would I would look into keeping Julius Randle no matter what. Isaiah Thomas would be a situ- situational keep to me. Okay, this next one is from Sean Bush. At S-E-A-N-B-U-S-H-3. Which bottom seven team do you think has the best chance to make the playoffs next year after adding a high-impact rookie? And the bottom seven right now, um, Phoenix Suns, Memphis Grizzlies, Atlanta Hawks, Orlando Magic, Dallas Mavericks, Sacramento Kings, and Brooklyn Nets. The first team that came to my mind was the Mavericks. Uh, just because they have Rick Carlisle, I think they have a couple of interesting players there. Dennis Smith, since March 1st, is averaging in 30 minutes a game, um, 18.6 assists, two threes, and a steal, and shooting 42% from the field, 37% from three. You get one more year of Dirk. If you add Luka Doncic to that, maybe they're interesting. But the big problem with them, obviously, is the fact that they're in the Western Conference. Right. Um, so I think... I think you almost have to default to the East for this question. And even though Brooklyn is sending their top seven pick to Cleveland, I think I might still go with Brooklyn. Um, I, I just I, I think they have a lot of interesting, talented players there. D'Angelo Russell, before he got hurt, was averaging 27, 7, and 6 per 36. And then since March 1st, he's averaging 28 and 6. Um per 36, so he's obviously really good. They get Jeremy Lin back. I like Rondé Hellis-Jefferson. Karis LeVert's been really good lately. Jared Allen is sort of coming along. If I had to pick one, I think I'm going to go Brooklyn. I I agree with everything you kind of said there. I'm tempted to go with Memphis just because you add a top-end rookie to a healthy Gasol. I guess they get Conley back. Yeah, go ahead. The Dallas makes like a sensible pick. I don't. I don't trust Phoenix. You're, you're right. The West is so tough. Um, if we were to extend this to all lottery teams, I think you could make a case for maybe the Lakers. Uh, they'll have the Cavs pick, so that they could qualify for that. The Knicks, if you thought Kristaps was going to be healthy, there in the East might have a better chance. This is a tough question. Yeah, I. I actually didn't even really consider Memphis, but that one is interesting to me. If your if your core three is Mike Conley, Luka Doncic, and Mark Gasol, 
and and say they still have Tyreek Evans. That's that is interesting. But but they have the same problem as Dallas. They're in the Western Conference, so it's tough. I, yeah, I feel that, fairly confident in Brooklyn. Not that they would make the playoffs, but just that they would have the best shot. Yeah, that's a, that's a good pick. That's a really good question. It is a good one. Well done, Sean. All right, our last one is from Surya at a y r u u u s. Where does Oladipo's season rank all time in the Pacers history? Um, and we Whoa. can just sort of riff on. I was going to say we can kind of riff on Oladipo in general, but just for the sake of answering the specific question, he's 13th in Pacers history in single season wins over a replacement player, fourth in box plus minus, uh, 43rd in win shares for 48 minutes, 39th in win shares, and he is posting the best single season player efficiency rating in Indiana Pacers history. It's like Paul George, who, right? That that surprised me that he was first in PER. Um, he's also the only Pacer ever to average at least twenty three points, five rebounds, four assists, and two steals. So it's, um, I think, any way you slice it, it's one of the best seasons in Pacers history, which I, n- none of us no. saw coming before the start nope. of the season. Um, do you have anything else you want to add on the Pacers or, or Victor Oladipo there? No, I, he's been spectacular this season. That's not necessarily something I had considered, but he's he's just been great for them. And I'm very interested to see he's a lock for most improved player. I'm interested to see just how this carries over into the the following seasons. Just to not that I don't believe that this is his real breakout, but you always want to see how these most improved players fare down the line. And he's going to be a big part of the Pacers' future now because his breakout has accelerated a timeline that was already quasi accelerated when the Pacers opted for him and Sabonis over a package built more around picks. Yeah. They, they went with these more immediate guys or at least one immediate guy in Oladipo. So it's, it looks like it's panning out for them right now, but I'm very interested to see if he can carry this team to the next level next season. As you have miles Turner grow, we can see what they do with their cap space and free agency. They also have some nice trade packages they could offer because of their non-guaranteed commitments. But the Pacers are just a fascinating team in the East because of Oladipo moving forward. And, and again, he's been sensational. I'd probably say, would you call this a top five season in Pacers history? It can't, is it, is it the best season in Pacers history? That feels strong. No, I wouldn't say it's the best. I think you can make the case that it's top five. I mean, he's posting the fourth best box plus minus ever and the, and the best. PER ever. So I think you have an argument there. I think it's probably comfortably top 10, which is crazy. Um, Mark Titus, who's from Indiana, he does stuff for the ringer. He was on a Bill Simmons podcast a few weeks ago too. And he said that he thought if, if Oladipo can play this way for, I don't know, five or six years, he might even overtake Reggie Miller and like Pacers fan love just because he played at Indiana too. He was a Hoosier. Um, it's crazy that we're already sort of talking about him as <laughs> up there with Reggie Miller and Pacers history. Cause, cause it would have, I would have thought that, that Reggie would be untouchable for them for a long time, but Oladipo right. has been incredible. Um, all right. We had other questions. I'm sorry if we didn't get to yours. Maybe if I get bored in my, uh, super important law school cl- uh, classes tomorrow, I will go through and answer some more of them on Twitter. Um, anything else you want to add before we wrap this up, Dan? 
Nope, I got nothing. That was a that was a fun mailbag. Here's to Kawhi Leonard starting next year in I don't even know <laughs> Absolutely. Phoenix. Absolutely. Um, if you want to talk to us or send us more questions and just you know talk about the NBA, Dan's on Twitter at Dan Favale, F A V A L E. I'm on Twitter at Andrew D Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore Math. As always, uh, review the podcast, leave us a rating. We're at 102 now, so we're still climbing, and I, I'm so grateful that we are. Get us to that 403 so we can rub it in Stephen Curry's face. Um, <laughs> That'll be I'm the first sure, tweet. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be very uh, jealous of us. Um, yeah, keep doing that. Steal friends' phones. Subscribe them to the podcast. Uh, go to the nbamath.com slash shop to get your 15% off when you enter the promo code Bino. And until next time, we leave you with a shout-out to Bino Udry.